live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You know, it's been a minute since we checked in on the Lakers, so why don't we start there? You know, the Lakers, a.k.a. the Brick Show, a.k.a. the Purple and Gold Titanic. Been even longer, I think, since we talked Celtics, so why don't we fix that right right now? Let's fix that wrong and make it a right. I can hit both of them at once. As far as the Celtics go, if you haven't been paying attention, they have been the best team in the association so far, despite the fact that they're on their third head coach in as many seasons. Now, it's still not exactly clear what went down with Ime Yudoka. But what is entirely clear is they don't miss him. They have not missed a step because they've got interim coach Joe Mazzulla. In fact... In fact, it is early, it is soon, but I'm going to say they look every bit as good under Missoula as they did Udoka, and maybe even better. Needless to say then, there was some hype, because no matter what's going on with those two franchises, it's still the Celtics and Lakers. No matter what their respectful records are, there's always going to be interest because Celtics, Lakers but especially when Boston rolls in with the best record in the NBA. In other words, that actually was a really good opportunity for the Lakers to make a statement, to make a stand. I don't know. Like, I don't want to have their entire season or even first half turn on a single moment or game, but maybe it could, right? The purple and gold Titanic can still float. That would have been a great statement to make. You know, that it's not totally submerged in the shark-infested, icy-cold water just yet. And wouldn't you know, it looked like they were going to make that statement. The Lake Show actually came through. They had a moment. I mean, they've had a hell of a lot of moments this year. But they had a moment, a good moment. In fact, by far, their best moment. And then, of course, they had to go and wreck the moment. Of course, by the end of the game last night, the Lakers' best moment turned out to be yet another epic and catastrophic failure. I mean, it's not failure at all. Yes, it is. Don't be capping, LeBrick. Yes, it was. But I'll admit, for a second there, you had me going. For a second there, it looked like it was not going to be yet another failure because the Lakers were trailing by as many as 20 in the third quarter. You know, same as they ever were, right? They had run off a 41-9 run, including an 18 to nothing clip to actually claim the lead in the fourth, the Lakers. Then they managed to stretch that lead all the way to 13 with under four minutes left in the game. So the gold Titanic, the Laker Titanic, was getting blown out by the Celtics. They somehow turned this around. They've got a 13-point lead with four minutes to go. Great story. Great moment. In fact, at that point, according to ESPN, their win probability was 99.3%. And that's after they trailed by 20 to the team with the best record in the NBA. I mean, are we really talking about the Lakers here? That was the moment that the Lakers have been waiting on all season long. Potentially a season-turning moment, a statement against a rival with the best record in the NBA on national television, something their entire season could pivot on, right? 
and a win probability rate of 99.3%. No way even the Lakers could F that up, right? Oh, yeah, that was a good moment, all right. One good moment, and then that one good moment passed. And then there were a bunch of bad, bad moments where the Lakers remembered, oh, yeah, we're the Brick Show. And then they blew it right back to Boston. Gagged it right up to Chowd Town. Gagged it. The Celtics collapsed. Then the Lakers made it a uh, bop, bop, bop. They bodied. The Lakers made it a double collapse after the Celtics initially collapsed. And somehow, some way, they found a way to come from ahead to choke away that game. I mean, they still had a five-point lead in the final minute. Then LeBrick bricked. Anthony Bricks bricked back-to-back throws. And then Jason Tatum hit a devastating clutch-as-hell turnaround fadeaway J right in LeBrick's face. Tatum to the right, pulls up on LeBron. They're isolated, right side of the floor. Tatum spins on the baseline, turns, fades, oh. got it! <laughs> the Celtics have tied the game. They've come from 13 down in the final minutes. Celtics radio, they just gave LeBrick. I mean, yeah, that was a dagger. But maybe it wasn't. Because it gave LeBrick a chance to head back up the floor and then brick the potential game winner. So then they go to overtime. And again, in OT, the Lakers blow it. They took a quick lead. They had a four-point lead early on. Then Westbrick bricked. Westbrick. Braun bricked again. Westbrick bricked. Westbrook. Back-to-back threes. You know, that the Celtics were obviously inviting him. No check that. Begging him to take. To which he obliged them. Then Anthony Bricks bricked up a three. And then Jalen Brown stepped in and then stuck the dagger in. Jalen moves straight away, takes a deep three. Oh. Got it! <laughs> Get off my doggone Lakers! And while the entirety of the NBA said maybe the Celtics aren't all that, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just made a monster statement. We are who we say we are. Yeah, I don't know that anybody was saying they weren't all that. They knew they were playing the choking Lakers. They were at the back end of back-to-backs, probably fatigued. And then they just th- flipped the switch and waited for the Lakers to do what the Lakers do. Meltdown, brick, and tank. So that's how the purple and gold Titanic turned their best moment of the season into just more of the same. The ship almost looked like it was going to float there for a second. And that everybody remembered that it was a ship that's built out of bricks. Meanwhile, the Lakers are what they are, and the Celtics are built out of grit. These dudes didn't just outlast the brick show in their house last night. They did it on the second night of a back-to-back, which came at the end of a six-game road trip. They blew a 20-point lead. They fell behind by 13, and it didn't matter. One team in overtime definitely lost steam and faded and died right there on the floor. And it was the team with absolutely no excuse to do so because it was not the team finishing off a road trip on a back-to-back. It was the freaking brick show. But, of course, LeBron 
was ready after the game to let us know that that was nothing, nothing near being a failure. We gave ourselves a chance to win. We, we didn't close it out. But I um, loved our effort. I loved our tenacity in the second half and uh, put ourselves in a position to, to win a ball game. And uh, you know, playing is a very good team, but we weren't able to close it out. Man, how the mighty have fallen. Is that what it's come to? Dude, would you like a participation trophy with that? We gave ourselves a chance against a very good team. Wow, that means nothing. You love the effort. You love the tenacity in the second half. Yeah, but that ignores the zero effort and zero tenacity in the final minute and overtime. You know, when the game was decided. I know nothing is ever a failure to you, LeBron, but I hate to be the one to break it to you, LaFib. Last night was another epic failure. Last season was an epic failure. Space Jam 2 is an epic failure. And you managed to turn your one legitimately promising moment of the year so far into an epic failure. Props to the Celtics for digging in and grinding out a gritty win. Zero props to the Brick Show for more of exactly the same. Oh, yeah, that right there. That is the best sound ever. That is the best sound ever. It's also a reminder that it's time to knock out that new business idea and to start with Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anybody from anywhere. So whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it is time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. And with Shopify, you will customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that create diehard fans. Shopify can help you with all of that. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. Find out for yourselves. Sign up right now for a free trial at shopify.com slash roam. R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Again, you want to go to Shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, and start selling online today. I don't know where I would be without them. Shopify.com slash Rome. I mean, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. I've actually tried to ignore these guys for a while. But then I saw that. I'm like, all right, they've played better of late. It is the Celtics. You know what? Why don't we check in and spend a minute on this? It's exhausting. The Lakers have me looking at the calendar and actually counting the days to Christmas break. I've never done that before. The Lakers have me doing that. It's actually more frustrating than anything else. And finally, I found somebody who understands and can emphasize with me, sympathize with me, and that is my guy, Charles Barkley. Charles Chuck feels my pain. Sum this first half up for me. The Lakers stink. They y'all forcing us to show them all the time like they're going to be good. Y'all is it Ernie? They, they, no, the NBA. Okay. It's a conspiracy. And then we got all these clowns on television have to talk about them every day. A the conspiracy? Lakers, it's a conspiracy. Like, we have to talk about the Lakers. The Lakers are awful. We don't talk about no other 14 seed. Well, sorry, they're not a 14 seed. 
They are a 12 seed. We don't talk about what's the 12 seed in the East. We don't ever talk about the Washington Wizards, do we? Ever. <laughs> <laughs> do we ever mention the Washington Wizards, the great Bradley Bill? No, but for some reason, these morning talk shows and us, we have to show the Lakers all the time. The Lakers stink. Easy. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. It's the last time you're going to see him this year. No way. It is. This year, this is December. This is oh. <laughs> <laughs> you big dummy. <laughs> well played, Ernie. As we, as we well played. There you go. Chuck. I feel you, Chuck. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. It is a conspiracy. They are awful. Why don't we talk about Bradley Beal more? I feel you, Chuck. I feel you, Chuck. Well, there you go. We talked about the Lakers. 1-800-636-8686. I thought they were going to have a moment. Down 20. Up 13. 99.3% probability win rate. And they still found a way to choke. Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. Jeff Brom is my guest. Jeff, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing good. Good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon, Jeff. I would imagine it's been kind of a whirlwind. So one minute you're coaching Purdue in the Big Ten title game. The next you're being introduced back home as the new head coach at your alma mater. So, Jeff, how quickly did that all come down and what was that time like? Well, of course, it did happen quickly. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was just like uh, you guys and uh, dropped my son off at school, getting ready to go out recruiting Monday morning. And he kind of texted me and said, hey, Dad, have you looked at Twitter? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, you might want to look at it. <laughs> so I did, and that's kind of how I found out that there was a uh, you know, coaching change at the University of Louisville. And, uh, of course, I knew that, you know, there's a chance that, uh, you know, they may reach out to me and uh, probably within – you know, 48 hours, or maybe just a little longer than that, uh, you know, the deal was reached, and uh, I just felt that the, the time was right to get to go back home. I was going to ask you about that, Jeff. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. This seemed like there would be a pretty good chance they might reach out to you because that's all anybody had been talking about. But when you say that there was a pretty good chance you might come home, it was not the first chance you had to come home. There was an opportunity prior to that. Why did it not feel right back then, and why does it feel like the right time now? Well, I don't like a lot of change. I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, you know, this business, uh, you know, that goes that happens a lot. And in all honesty, I'd like to just stay somewhere as long as I can. And what happens is uh, you, know, you build relationships with your players. You build relationships with your recruits and their families. And, you know, the worst part is you have to tell them that you're, you're moving on and taking a, a different job. So, 
you know, when it first happened two years ago, or excuse me, after two years at Purdue, I mean, I just, I could not look in the mirror uh, and, and think that, that was the right thing to do. It just felt like that uh, hadn't given enough time, haven't helped these guys achieve their goals, haven't fulfilled some of the things we talked about. And then, you know, after six years, it was a little different. You know, we made some progress. We found a way to win some big games. We got to the Big Ten Championship. So I thought that, you know what, we made progress, got this program back uh, to a respectable manner, and now they can go compete and continue to get better. And I think I did, you know, some work that uh, now it's time to, you know, go back home and, uh, you know, try to help this program that I'm very familiar with and love and uh, my whole family does. So that was just, you know, the, the main reason, but still tough to tell our players and recruits. Louisville head coach Jeff Brom joining us. Jeff, you just mentioned your family. At your presser, you talked about your daughter, Brooke, and how she had a birthday wish to, well, actually, it involved Louisville. Can you share the details of that? Because it really is a pretty incredible story. Well, it is kind of ironic. Uh, you know, last, not this past fall, but the previous one, uh, my wife's mother was really sick. Uh, so she, you know, we've always kept our house in Louisville. So she moved back home to Louisville to take care of her mother who had a serious uh, heart surgery and try to get her through that and, and wanted to take my daughter. Of course, I didn't want her to go, but I said, yeah, you probably should take uh, my daughter. So they moved back there for a full semester and went to school there and took care of her mother for as long as she could and then uh, eventually moved back uh, in the spring. And then, of course, their mother passed uh, in May. Um, but when that happened, uh, you know, Brooke uh, met new friends and uh, went to the same little grade school that me and my brothers went to and just really, really liked it and just got along with everybody. And, you know, probably half of it is, uh, you know, kids that age, they like meeting new people and she felt, uh, you know, really, you know, great to be around new people. Now, she liked it where we were at, so there's no question about it. But anyway, you know, for her birthday, for whatever reason, uh, you know, in late November, she put on a card and, and gave it to my wife, something about, She'd love to be able to move back to Louisville and be around her family and friends and all that. And and she didn't want you know my wife to show it to me, but my wife did. And, of course, I said, get that thing away. Okay, she can't be thinking that. We love it here. It's a great place here. We've got to make the most of where we're at. We can't be thinking like that. Uh, so I just, you know, I didn't bring it up. I said, put that away in, a, in, in the garbage or put it underneath the drawer. I don't want to see it. I uh, don't want to talk about it. But sure enough, uh, you know, a month later, she was right. Uh, this came about. And uh, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, it was time to go back home. Jeff, I love a good story, and that's a great story. Jeff Brom joining us. So you said so at your introductory presser, quote, this is home to me, not a job, but a way of life. And I get that for all the reasons we've talked about. It's deeply personal. That said, if we talk about the job aspect for a moment, as the team gets ready for the Fenway Bowl Saturday, do you like what you see and what you're inheriting? In other words, how do you view the state of the program that you're taking over now? Well, I'm not really uh, up to speed as much as I would like. And, uh, you know, when you first get here, you've got to attend to all the recruits that are committed and go see the others and get on the transfer portal and just at least introduce yourself to the team and uh, allow them access to, to visit with you briefly. I'm not real familiar. I, I do know that uh, they won some football games. I know they have some talent, some speed. Uh, they have a great uh, setup with their stadium and their facilities. So, like everything, I think there's great potential. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to be familiar with the landscape here. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been able to uh, – find a way to win at Purdue and fight through things and try to develop players and make the most of our talent. So I think we have a decent formula, but we've got to put it together here and make sure we continue to, to recruit the best talent we can, which I think we have the access to do that, put it on the field and win football games. So in the end, you know, our fans want to win. 
So I'm sure they're going to, you know, love me now. But uh, we, we need to win football games. So we've got to work hard and, and uh, put our head down and, and make sure that we're doing everything we can to get better. Hey, Jeff, that phrase, we found a way to win at Purdue, that's so true. In fact, you led them to the Big Ten championship game. You were 17-9 and nine the last two years. But the fact of the matter is, when you were thinking about that job, you talked to some people that you knew, you respected, and you said that 90% of them said, don't do it, don't take that gig. That's a really hard gig. Why did you decide to take that on? Well, that was the response I got, and uh, unfortunately, Purdue was not doing very well at the time, and uh, hadn't won very many games. And you know, every time you talk to somebody, now and it's going to be hard to recruit there, and they don't carry a lot of weight in the state of Indiana, which is your home state where you need to. And you know what? Uh, and I just heard that, and, and the more I thought about it, I had the opportunity to play for Coach, Coach Howard Snellberger, who was known for developing programs, whether it's University of Louisville, Miami, Florida, Florida Atlantic, all those places. And I said, you know what? You know. I think it's easy to go somewhere that's always winning uh, and continue that tradition. To me, it's it's going to take work to go to go somewhere and help build a program up. And I just was looking forward to the cha- looking forward to the challenge. I like challenges. Uh, you know, it's 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 fulfilling to me when you're able to go somewhere and do something that people say you can't do. Uh, and I like to put in the work. So I just think that was a, a great opportunity to try to prove my worth. And I feel like we, like I said, we did make some progress. This uh, Jeff on our TV side on CBS Sports Network was showing a photo montage of Howard Schnellenberger. I'm so glad you brought him up. I can remember interviewing him and meeting him for the first time when I got my first TV opportunity on ESPN2 in the mid-90s, the early 90s. And I remember him walking onto the set, and you could just feel this presence. Like, I thought the dude was larger than life. What was he like to play for and then work for? Well, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, he displayed that persona. I just think he carried confidence. Uh, he carried swagger. He knew that he had accomplished a lot. You know, he coached for Bear Bryant and, and won national championships at Alabama. He coached at University of Kentucky. He went to, uh, on his own and, and uh, went to the Miami Dolphins and was the offensive coordinator for the undefeated team and won a Super Bowl, only undefeated team ever. So I think everywhere he went, he knew he had a formula and a plan to win. Uh, it was through hard work. It was through commitment. It was through de- de- dedication and discipline. And I just think his best quality is he got his players to always believe that they were better than they were. And he got them to believe that when they took the field, they could win the football game. And I just think that's the main thing I learned from him. And it was because of that persona and swagger and aura that he had. And I just really feel that, you know, your players have to understand that, yeah, we're going to work hard or we're going to put in the time. But when it comes game day, if you don't feel like you're the best player on the team and the best team that's going to take the field you have no chance to win and he was the very very best at doing that Jeff Brom joining us you know one last thought I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the passing of Mike Leach what was your reaction to that news and then how will you remember Mike well extremely sad you know I was in California recruiting you hear something uh, like that and you hope that he's okay because there weren't many details given out and as you ask to ask questions around it, it didn't you know seem very good so you know, it's it's very sad. Uh, our prayers are with Mike and his entire family. I think, as everyone knows, you, you couldn't have a better personality. I mean, this guy did it his way. Uh, he had a, a swagger about him, a confidence about him, that he didn't care what anyone thought of, of what, how he ran his offense or what he did or how small his play sheet was. Uh, that's what he believed in. And uh, he was just a great person to be around. He always made people smile and laugh. And I just think that's what you really want to get out of uh, more football coaches, it's not only wins, but you want to get the ability to enjoy it, uh, to have long-lasting memories, uh, and I think he was the best at that. 
That's extremely well said. He is the head football coach at Louisville. He is returning home. He was named coach on December 8th. Of course, played his college ball there. It is his alma mater. He is Jeff Brom. Jeff, I really appreciate it. Congrats on returning home. They say you never can, but clearly you can, and you have. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Have a good day. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Dennis Dodd. Dennis, it's great to have you back. How are you, Dennis? Jim, I am great. And keeping with the theme, I uh, hit up the Javier's, the Aria in Vegas last week. So How did that go? It was great. The shrimp enchiladas never disappoint. They were great. Glad to hear that. All right, then. So, Dennis, I wanted to have you on to talk about Mike Leach because you knew him well. First things first, what was your reaction when you heard of his sudden passing? Well, I, we, we had had, what, a day maybe to prepare for it. So it, it landed, you know, a little bit of, a, of an expectation. But when you saw Sunday the school release that statement that he'd had a significant health emergency and was being airlifted, it, it was a shock. Um, you know, a guy who lived and coached so broadly and so brightly um, in the space of 48 hours to notice he was gone was, yeah, it was a shock. So, Dennis, take me back. When did you first meet him, and what do you remember about that encounter? Well, we first met, uh, I had criticized him in print or online about the lack of his uh, his quarterbacks, all these, you know, these great 5,000 quarterbacks, none of them gone to the NFL. Shows how much I know. You know, Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury and Grant Harrell have done, you know, pretty well for themselves. But what what started out is him calling me. The call ended with, you know, okay, we came to an agreement, a relationship. And I thought to myself, well, this guy, you know, this guy's not so bad. And it, the best story I can tell in 2012, his first year at Washington State, he sort of invited me down. He had just moved to Key West uh, with his wife, Sharon, and he kind of invited me down. Hey, want to come down, spend some time together. Okay, great. Go down, have lunch about 2.30 in the afternoon, and what proceeds to happen in the next eight hours is something I still think about. He took me on a, about a five-mile, eight-hour walking tour of Key West. Nothing to do with football, all about historical sites, Hemingway, Hemingway's house. We went into a couple of establishments. They already had the Washington State helmet up there. And it was so dizzying that at the end of the night, I got back into my room at midnight and just said to myself, what just happened? Because I think I learned everything there is to know about this guy, if there is. 
But I, I, I don't have anything there for football. The story turned out to be great. It just wasn't much on football, which is kind of the, kind of the best thing you can say about, uh, about Mike Leach. Dennis Dodds joining us. It's an amazing story. Like, having spent that amount of time, and I would imagine, Dennis, if you went on a walking tour like that and it covered five miles, you probably hit a watering hole or two or five. <laughs> so I'm not sure what you remember exactly about that. But having spent that kind of time with him, did you get any kind of sense then of what it might have been like to play for Mike Leach? Yeah, because he, look, he was not a perfect person. We know about the situation at Texas Tech with Craig James' son, he, you know, lock, uh, allegedly locking him in a dark room. He was eventually vindicated, but, but fired uh, at Texas Tech. He, he said some things about players, and he's not happy about their effort, but he's also wonderfully engaging, and his players, to a T, rave about that, how fun it was to play for him. I don't know if you saw the... I thought it was a post by Will Rogers, the, uh, the Mississippi State quarterback. You know, he said he was enriched for life by playing for, for Mike Leach. I think it was just fun um, at the end of the day because you knew offensively it was fun. Um, and it, if you, you know, they're, they're going to try to outscore people. It, you know, th- those defenses at Tech weren't great. Those defenses weren't great. But they were, the, the entire approach was innovative. And I just, I jotted down a list of names. So Jim, if there's a Mount Rushmore of innovators in college football, I think Mike Leach deserves to be on this list. Guys such as Don Perot, who invented the split tee, Dave Nelson, the Delaware wing tee, Newt Rockney, who didn't invent the forward pass, but perfected it at Notre Dame. Modern times, Urban Meyer, who took the zone read spread to another level with Alex Smith and Tim Tebow. Bill Walsh in the West Coast, I think, uh, Mike Leach goes up there because of what he added to the game as, a, as an innovator with nothing else. Um, receivers lining up three feet from the sideline, guard splits between the offensive linemen. It took 15 years for defense to quote-unquote catch up. I don't know if they have yet. Dennis Saad joining us. Dennis, I agree with you. There's no doubt. I mean, are there really any programs anywhere that don't use at least some form of his concepts? That's the thing. Uh, I would, you know, I think I wrote it in the piece again. I said it time after time, except for the service academies. Teams might not even know it, but they're using pieces of the air raid uh, all across college football. And now in the last five to ten years, obviously, pro football, where you see some of his quarterbacks with his legacy drafted, a Kyler Murray, a Tua with the Dolphins. Those guys would have never played in the NFL years ago. Now they're the cutting edge. Uh, plus one run past quarterbacks who can uh, who can take you apart with their arms and their legs. So yeah, no, I, I think that what, there's 131 FBS schools minus what three academies. That's about 128 schools that have Mike Leach to thank today for some of the stuff they run. Dennis Dodd joining us for a few more moments. You know, Dennis, I would say to you, I would ask you, how is it that this guy not only won? but one big in places where you're not supposed to win big. But you and I have talked about his approach, his innovation, his philosophy, so it's understandable. Let me ask you this, though. You think about where he went. He went to places like Lubbock and Pullman and Starkville. Yeah. You know, I, outposts is kind of a, a word that might not have the best connotation, but these are out-of-the-way places, yet he loved places like that. Why is that? He was attracted to the small, out-of-the-way places. Lubbock isn't small. Lubbock's about 300,000 people, I think. But again, 
about as out of the way as you can get in West Texas. And they all shared a similar trait. They needed football rehab. And I think he just enjoyed the challenge. So obviously, he spent 10 years at Texas Tech, got fired, reemerged three years later at Washington State, got them to an 11-and-win season. In his third year at Mississippi State in the SEC, he stated at the time, you know, that's why I left Washington State. I wanted to go to the best conference and challenge myself. They were 8-4 and four this year, Jim, in his third year. Uh, the, most, the most wins they've had since Dan Mullen left in, what, 15 when they went 9-4. and four. So they were about to turn the corner. And that's the challenge he liked. He, 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 had, some, he had a great, you know, uh, I remember talking to him on his way to work at Washington State once, and he was walking. Um, he would catch up on office stuff, call media, and I'm talking to him on the phone, and I hear this voice in the background go, hey, are you the coach? And he'd go, yeah, I am. And he just start talking to the guy while he's talking to me, having a separate conversation. But that's, the, that's why he liked the small-town thing. He didn't like – I don't want to – you know what? He didn't like the limelight. I mean, he wasn't one of those guys who – he seeked it. People asked him questions. He gave good answers, but he liked to be that guy who could walk to work and innovate. Yeah, let's be clear about that walk to work, though. That was not like he lived a block or two away from campus. No. How long was that walk? I think it was about three and a half miles, uh, from what I remember. And you know that that's about twice the size of Pullman. He must have li- lived outside a little bit. I don't know exactly where he lived. But you can figure out how long does it take anybody to walk three and a half miles. That's quite a stretch. And for him, not to, as a football coach, these guys are all wired differently, you know, not to do it in 10 minutes or whatever in a car and stretch it out that long tells you something about the guy. Des, circle back before you go. When he initially made that phone call to you, and he took exception to the fact that you made the point that, yeah, these quarterbacks are putting up these astronomical numbers, but they're not playing in the NFL. And then he called you up. What was the tone? Like, was he just wanting to discuss this with you or was he angry? No, he was angry, but it was but it was measured. He was explaining himself. I think he was expecting, you know, sort of the shouting match fight over, you know, something I'd written. And we just talked about ball. And I think that's what he wanted to do. He just wanted to explain it. Um, you know, he thought I'd taken a cheap shot. You know, I think it was easy back, even back then, to say, hey, this is a system offense, these are system quarterbacks, when people like me didn't know any better when he was innovating the game. He'd already been at Valdosta at Iowa Wesley at Kentucky. Bob Speech hired him as his first offensive coordinator at Oklahoma in 99. He had trouble defending Kentucky. And he asked Hal Mummy, I know I can't get you, you're the head coach, but do you think Mike would come? And he did. And he stayed, he stayed one year. And you talk about the first time I met him. This is really the first time I met him. Uh, he had he was in his office at Oklahoma in '99. In one hand, a bag of parties, you know, eating French fries out of one bag, and in his right hand, he was with his remote watching games. And that describes him to a T. He was multitasking. He could, you know, he wasn't going to let wasn't going to let bodily uh, needs like food get in the way of uh, game plan. Um, and I should mention one more thing. Sure. That his quarterback that you know that you obviously was Josh Heifel, who helped he, he helped recruit out of Utah JUCO. Boy, what a, what a direct legacy there is there. Josh Eifert goes on to lead Oklahoma to its last national championship in 2000. Um, he's runner-up in the Heisman. He comes back to coach at Oklahoma as offensive coordinator. 
develops Sam Bradford as the Heisman uh, winner in 2008, then goes on to other iterations, Missouri, Utah State, and now emerges this year as the National Coach of the Year candidate, running Mike Leach's stuff with Hendon Hooker. It's a great story. It's an incredible story. 25 years is a National College football writer for CBS Sports. Good friend of the program as well. He is Dennis Dodd. Dennis, I really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, Mike Leach, always good to have you on the show. Dennis, thanks so much. Jim, thanks so much. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Fizzle in Wichita, what's up? Yo, what's cracking, lacking, Romy Rome? How you living, player? Yo, check this, man. I'm going to holler at you one time. Now, I know your boy Fizzle done came in here yesterday, but now I'm back again. And all these hate-ass fools who come out the woodwork, be asking me all like, is Fizzle your real name? Well, check this, man. Fizzle going to do what Fizzle going to do. I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to talk for three straight minutes, not say a damn thing. I'm going to talk about myself in the third person, because Fizzle going to do what Fizzle going to do. You feel me, Roman Rome? I know you do. Now, check this. I know this ain't no damn beef Wednesday. I'm going to holler at you anyway. I'm going to take that Wendy's hamburger, I'm going to show all y'all clones where's the beef, because it's my beef. Every time your boy Fizzle come in here looking to talk to the pimp, i got to go through that necromancer. That vampire, you got man in the phones. Yo, look here, Chalk. Check this, man. Fizzle might not have your fancy pants, smarty pants, Ivy League degrees, but Fizzle got them street smarts. And when you're on the streets, street smarts is what you need. I done been on the streets. I done lost it all. I lost my house. I lost my car. I even lost my damn dog. We called him Rick and Buffalo. So check this, man. Next time Fizzle come up in here, you put me straight on through with the pimp in the box. Let me holler at him from one pimp to another. Because game do still recognize game. Besides, Chalk, I've always been more of a Garrett Rick guy anyway. Yo, what up, Midnight Oil? How you living, player? I see you back there, man. Now, Matt in L.A., I done told you. I done told you, raggedy ass, to stay down. But no, you had to come back in here wielding your plunger, looking for a fight. Looking for that fizzle knuckle sandwich. Well, Fizzle got that knuckle sandwich for you, and then some. Besides, Matt, we all know you've been dead man walking ever since Vic and Milkow put that mud in L.A. gloss on you. He glossed you. He glossed you. Now you're just out here walking around on Zombie Street like you're straight out of The Walking Dead. 28 days later, not a living dead. Now check this, man. Clones. Romy Rome. Pimp in the box. I'm going to ask you one last time. What's my... So Mike Tomlin is a little frustrated right now, and it's not by that garbage offense that they keep running out there. No, apparently it's much bigger than the garbage offense we've seen the last couple of years there. It's about the sport overall losing some of its purity, some of it its integrity. Straight Fire Mike is frustrated by the sport losing its purity and focus because fantasy honk And Gambling Guy is ripping it. That's right. Gambling Guy and Fantasy Honk, you're to blame. According to Mike, 
get this. Steelers safety, Mika Fitzpatrick, great player. Caught some flack from fantasy honk and gambling guy after picking a pass late against the Falcons and running it out of bounds instead of trying to house it at the end of their Week 13 win. Obviously, fantasy and gambling honks needed the extra score. They don't want to see that. They don't want to see guys sliding at the one-yard line so as not to pile on the opposition. They don't want to see a guy being, quote, situationally aware and stepping out of bounds. They want their points. They want their money. And frankly, it's pissing Mike Tomlin off. Man, it is ridiculous <laughs> that we're talking about something other than winning, whether or not you had the Steelers' defense and the fantasy points that you lost or the gambling aspects of overs and unders. I just, you know, on a personal note, I'm I'm saddened often by by the distractions that could become part of viewing and enjoying men competing at the highest level in the game that we all love by fantasy teams and, and over and underline. It's unfortunate at times, really. Um, that guy displayed great situational awareness and playmaking and, and selflessness in that play, and he should be champion for that as opposed to questioning some of the ways that I hear him being questioned, unfortunately. Dude, are you for real? I mean, seriously, Mike, much respect to you, dude. You're a hell of a coach. You are a hell of a coach and a great leader, but are you for real with that? Or are you just trolling us? You don't really mean that, do you? I like the way he started off. Why are we talking about anything other than winning? Oh, no, Mike, they're talking about winning. Their fantasy team winning. They're more concerned about their team or they're as concerned about their team as you are your team. Believe me, they're talking about winning. You just said, are we, why are we talking about anything other than winning? Oh, they're talking about winning, all right. Winning money. My man, Mike, again, great coach, great leader. But you are displaying horrible situational awareness yourself when you spit out that hypocrisy. I mean, you got to get out of here with that. That is rich as hell, my guy. There's no way you're serious about that, right? Situational awareness and the ultimate men playing the ultimate game and winning and losing. And why are people going in on this guy when he should be applauded for his, quote, situational awareness? Dude, you are not displaying any of the sort. Do you know how much money you and those same men make because of fantasy and gambling? Are you really that tone deaf and not understanding the level of interest that it creates for your sport and those who play your sport and you're upset and thinking about them bitching about the end of a game on Twitter and that's affecting the integrity or purity of the game? My man, I know you're not that naive. I know you're not. You're a really smart dude and a great coach and a great motivator and a great leader. Great coach. Terrible take. I mean, do you know how much more popular the game is because of those guys that you're going in on right now? Honestly. If anything, you should be thanking them instead of cracking them because of fantasy alone. And don't get me wrong, the NFL is king. I love, love the NFL. I love football, and I love football before fantasy came along. I love football before the advent of legalized gambling. But because of fantasy alone... Kids got hooked on your game at the earliest of ages, dude. Football is the greatest sport. But don't act like fantasy and gambling have nothing at all to do with it. 
Because they do, right? I mean, my dude, I know you're trolling us. You don't have to like it, but I know you understand it. Because the shield that you so proudly represent clearly does not have the issue with it that you do, or it would not have negotiated all these zillion-dollar deals with gambling and fantasy concerns. Would have never dropped a franchise in Las Vegas. Clearly, they don't think that gambling and fantasy honks are jacking with the integrity of the game or with the men competing at the highest levels. Now, yes, gamblers and fantasy players will get carried away. Of course. Of course they cross the line. Of course they get carried away. But you knew that would happen, right? There's money involved. There's money involved. As soon as there was money involved, people were going to get carried away. But this just in, newsflash, before there was fantasy and before there was all that gambling, before there was money involved, fans got carried away. Fans would get really upset. If somebody made a dumb play or somebody made a bad decision or somebody fumbled a game away or somebody threw a pick, what, you're going to act like that didn't exist before all of this? Of course. And the thing is, the irony is, he's saying, man, this is so unfair. People should be recognizing that Minka Fitzpatrick made an amazing play and had situational awareness and he should not be penalized for that. You want to know what? Minka gets it. Minka was not upset about it. Minka understood it. Minka actually made a joke about it. He himself tweeted, quote, How many fantasy players are mad at me right now? Sorry, not sorry. See, that's awesome. He gets it. He knows. The players know. They don't like it, but they understand it. But you, my guy, are saddened by it. You're saddened. Again, just know that the, the establishment is not. The shield is not. My man, don't bite the hand that feeds. That's funny, too. He's all saddened by that. Dude, I would be a lot more saddened by that product that you've been running out there. I'd be a lot more saddened by that dink and dunk offense than what people might be saying on Twitter. I mean, and, and by the way, notice this. Why was this never a problem before? It was never a problem when he had prime Big Ben. It was never a problem when he had Lev. It was never a problem when he had Mr. Big Chest. And Fantasy Guy was winning his league every single year. But now it's a problem because he's got Matt Nova Scotia dinking and dunking the ball and going three and out. And now Mike is saddened and upset and thinks that it's messing with the purity of the game. My man, it could be worse. It could be worse. Because most fantasy owners have dropped your offensive players a long time ago because of their lack of production. So the backlash or the viral reaction is not nearly as bad as it once was. You want to know who's sad, my guy? You want to know who's sad? Your fan base. Your fan base, which is paying good money to see your 5-8 and team hit the field with that horrible dink and dunk offense. Now that's something to be sad about. Like I said, good coach, good, good coach, horrible take. No, I mean, great coach, great coach, worst take. You're going to push back on gambling and fantasy now? I'm sad and often. Dude, I'm not even saying B, billions. I'm talking Z, zillions of dollars. 
I don't think any of the owners are sad about this. I don't think the commissioner is sad about this. And don't act like it doesn't create interest in the game. It does. It does. Like I said, there's a whole generation of young people who came up on that league because of fantasy. Good night now!